Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Okay, so hey, Jeanette, welcome to the show. Hi, Scott. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. I appreciate how much you've got going on. So it really is. I'm super grateful for you taking the time today. I've got mentoring, the podcast, uh, Brave, Bold, Brilliant, which we'll talk about a bit later, and property investment, and a few other pieces, I'm sure, as well. So lots to, to get involved with. Question I'd like to start all chats off with is, do you have a party trick or a hidden talent that people might not be aware of? Well, I'm not sure about a party trick, um, Scott, but certainly, you know, I'm prone to a little bit of um, a stint on the old karaoke um, when having had a few bevies. So I guess that, you know, not necessarily a trick, but that's um, that I've been part, been known to be on the stage, uh, not singing very, very well, but giving it a <laughs> <matter> what. <laughs> oh, I love that. Do you have like a go-to, uh, go-to karaoke song? Um, oh well, you know what? It'd have to be it'd have to be a classic, wouldn't it? Like a Gloria Gaynor, you know. I will survive because I mean, oh, okay, it's got to be done, isn't it? Right? Yeah. So that's probably the go-to embarrassing kind of moment. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I like it. Yeah, I wish I was uh, confident enough to do karaoke. I did a bit of uni, but uh, my mates quickly got me off because I was horrendous. So I'm sure you sound a lot better than I do. Like I say, Jeanette, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today. And as I kind of already touched on, you've got a lot going on. And I figured a good place to start would be your property development stuff and your business. So I guess the obvious question, which I'll kind of jump into, give a bit of background is like, yeah, how did you get into uh, property with your partner Chris and yeah what was kind of your origin story if you like for that uh well to be honest Scott we sort of dabbled a little bit in property in the past uh, but nothing serious more like a sort of hobby hobby investors if you like um, and then about two years ago I decided to come out of the corporate world so I left my last corporate job where I was the CEO of the travel division for a company called Saga. Um, and, you know, I was in my mid-40s at this point and had to, so I was sort of thinking about well, what does the next phase of, of my life and, and our life together look like, really. So, you know, it's always great if you have the chance to sort of have time to reflect and think about what next because normally we're so busy we don't give ourselves the opportunity to do that. Um, and at that point, really, we... You know, I decided I wanted much more flexibility in my life. I wanted to have, um, you know, multiple streams of income, wanted to create long term wealth as well as, you know, short term cash flow. And I wanted sort of to be my own boss and, and freedom, flexibility. And we had some capital that, you know, wasn't really working as hard as it could have been for us. So property kind of really ticked a lot of the boxes. So what we decided to do was to sort of go for it in a more structured way as a proper business, you know, set up as a business. We got ourselves educated so we knew what we were doing as opposed to sort of dabbling how we'd done in the past. Um, and it's kind of gone from there, really. So, yeah, we invest in residential properties in Manchester, uh, which is sort of my hometown, uh, although we do live in London. So we, you know, have been splitting our time 50-50. Um, but yeah, so we, we do focus on buy to let properties. Um, so just using a sort of a buy, 
refurbish, refinance model. So we'll buy a property that needs work. Um, we've got a great team on the ground that does all of that for us. So we'll refurbish the property. Uh, then we'll refinance it because obviously we've added value. It's, it's on a higher valuation um, and take as much of our original investment out of the property. But we don't sell anything. Our, our strategy is to hold the assets and then essentially we put tenants in there and uh, yeah the tenants pay the mortgage um if you like and and cover the costs and then what's left is is clearly sort of net income and um, into the business so it's a relatively simple model um but that's that's what we're focusing on at the moment and we've got big aspirations for, for our business um you know we've got a very clear five-year plan uh where you know we intend to build a property portfolio um, of a gross development value of a value of 15 million pounds over the next five years. Um, so, yeah, so we're on the journey, really. But, you know, it's still relatively early days for us. Um, but it's exciting and we're enjoying it. So it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for you. And already there's a lot of uh, gold in that. So something we will get onto a bit later, I'm sure, is I believe you're working with Rob Moore, the uh, property mentor who is to, to yourselves. And um, I know he's been on a number of podcasts that I listen to. So yeah, he offers a lot of value in property. So I'm sure you've learned a ton from him, which like I said, I'm sure we'll kind of jump into a little bit later. With, um, with the kind of model that you guys have, I know you kind of mentioned that you now have a team that kind of does the refurbishing and stuff. Mm -hmm. To begin with, was it yourself and Chris that were doing all the kind of hands-on labouring and stuff like that? Or have it always been kind of pretty hands-off for you guys? Never. We can't change a plug, Scott, between Chris and I. <laughs> no, 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 that's definitely not our skill. Um, so, you know, we we always wanted it originally to set the business up in a way that it wasn't solely reliant on the two of us. Um, so, you know, we look quite closely at what our both individual skills um, are. And I think it's important as an entrepreneur to do that. And then essentially, so where are our gaps um, and how do we make sure we get the right people on our team that can that know far better than, you know, more, far more and are far more skilled than we are in those areas. And, and you know, the, the actual refurbishment side of things is, is one of those areas. So we have a great building partner who he does all that deals with all of the tradespeople, you know, the plumbers, the electric, the electricians, the, oh, right. nice. the, bil the builders. So he deals with all of that. So he project manages it for us on our behalf. Um, and then we also have a lettings agent that finds the tenants, deals with the tenants. We don't do anything to do with any of the work in terms of the refurbishment or in terms of, you know, the actual dealing with the tenants on a day-to-day -day basis or operationally. So we focus, well, I focus my effort more on the strategy, the financial side of things, the investor side of our business. Chris tends to focus more of his time on sort of finding the deals and deal sourcing, you know, so the right properties and relationships with the estate agents that we buy from all that kind of thing. Uh, and then once we've actually you know, bought the property, essentially, we kind of hand it over, really, when we just have an oversight of what's going on. But we really use the team to, to help us, um, you know, make sure that they focus on their jobs, and we're not annoying them, uh, interfering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds dreamy, dare I say. And I'm, I'm sure there are challenges involved with that, which I'm sure, again, we'll kind of get on to. But with, um, you mentioned kind of the deal sourcing and things, do you think it is essential to have kind of a network and relationship with estate agents to find good deals? Or is that something that you can kind of find on just a quick Google search, for example, or other things like that? 
Oh, no, it's critical. It's absolutely critical. I mean, you can get, clearly you can find property deals in lots of different places. You know, you can, via estate agents is obviously a big source. Um, you've got via auctions, um, you know, direct to vendor as well. So there's lots of different ways that you can actually find, you know, the deals and the properties coming on the market. Or the, But the ideal is to get properties before they come on the market. Um, and certainly, you know, the relationship with the estate agents is absolutely key. Because what it means is that, you know, if you're investing time in those relationships and you're just generally being a nice person, to be honest, you know, you're giving people time to chat and, you know, talk about what's happening with their, you know, great aunt Mildred, who's just come out of hospital, because <laughs> Bain's done and sat there, sit there and have a cup of tea and take them some donuts in, you know, and you consistently do that and you build those relationships, what ends up happening is, and you do what you say you're going to do as well. You know, if you say you're going to deal, do a deal with them, you make sure that you do. You don't pull out or, you know, get things wrong. So if you're, you're, you, you, do, you work with high integrity, you're a nice person, you give them time and effort, what you tend to find is that that really does come back to you because you will be first on the list or high up on the list when, you know, the properties do come along that fit fit the bill in terms of what you're looking for. So that's when... You know, the relationship with the state agents is really key. And, you know, they will ring you up and say, oh, listen, this I've just, just got this just taken on this house. Would you like to see it before we put it on? And that's really what you want to, to aim to achieve. So, yeah, estate agents are, are really, really important. Um, and it is spending the time and the effort going in regularly. So that's very smart because I'm, I'm guessing from their side as well, you're doing them a favour by, you know, kind of taking it off their hands, presumably saving them a lot of time with listing and all that sort of extra stuff they would otherwise have to deal with. Is that, yeah, is that kind of the case, do you think? Well, yeah, partly. I mean, the thing is about the property market is a third of deals fall through anyway, even just... just oh, really? Wow. A third, yeah. And this whole bunch of for that you know if you're caught in a chain and the chain breaks or you know say you're a first-time buyer and you're buying with a mortgage and then all of a sudden you know the the lender they, they come back with a valuation that's lower than you want than you want for the property and you, they won't lend you as much money there's a whole bunch of reasons you know why a deal can fall through so about a third of deals fall through anyway so I think it's I think it's really important that if you're an investor, if you're in whatever business you're in, it doesn't really matter what the business is. And this has sort of been an ethos that I've always stood by through my whole career is do what you say you're going to do, you know, and, you know, be, be honest, be trustworthy, have high integrity. And people want to do business with people that they like and trust, basically. Um, and that's the same in the property game as it is in, in business in general. So, yeah, I mean, from a state agent, they, they get so many people, I think, that mess them around or things mm. through. So if, if, they, if you can build a relationship based on trust and integrity, um, they know then that, you know, if you say you're going to buy a property, uh, whatever the terms are, that the, and you follow through with that, they know that the next time, you know, that they'll be more likely to deal with you again because you, you know, you're a good customer, and it's and it takes the pain away for them as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's uh, it's funny you mention it because it is a theme that's cropped up numerous times in conversations I've had with guests. So this idea of showing up, being consistent with integrity, and actually following through on your words, and mm. it's something I'm definitely trying to do more of, and I think I'm pretty good at it by and large. But there's definitely times where you know, I say, uh, even just little things like, oh, I'm going to 
you know, go to a party at friends who invited to me too and then cancel last minute because I just can't be asked to go or something like that. And mm. I think that's quite a dangerous kind of have a, a sort of hole to go into, for at least from my experience. So with uh, to kind of take it back to your first kind of dabblings into property. So I believe you kind of started it as like a hobby, you were saying, you, uh, sort of in your 30s, and now you've kind of mm. transitioned into doing it as, as your business. Mm. What did that transition process look like for you and Chris? Did you have uh, like a business plan in place or did, were you very much just kind of learning on the fly? Yeah, how did that look for you guys? Yeah, well, I mean, essentially once we'd, we'd kind of done quite a bit of research, you know, because you can learn a lot, can't you, for free. You can educate yourself, you know, reading books and going to various conferences and things like that. So we'd started down the path, but we, we hadn't decided what we were going to do in property, where we were going to do it. We didn't have any of the real numbers or anything like that at that point. So it was very much just sort of, opening our eyes to the opportunities and the things that you could do. So that was the first stage, sort of almost it's like research, if you like. Um, the second stage then was that we went to an event in London, at what's called the Multiple Streams of Property Income, which is ran by Progressive Property. And so we went to that and it was a free event, you know, it was sort of over a weekend and it was great. There was some really inspiring speakers talking about all the different strategies and things you could do in property. So we, that started to, to get us quite excited about it, thinking, oh, right, okay, actually, this is, there's different things we could do here. Um, and at that event, we, I've always been a massive believer in, you know, the best investment you can ever make is in yourself. I've always felt that. Um, and if you're going to be going into a business or into a new venture or anything really in life, you know, why would you not want to give yourself the best chance of success? And I think one of the best ways to do that is to know what you're bloody well doing, right? <laughs> so <laughs> investing your education um, is really important. So we signed up for a training course, which we did. It was like a four-day uh, masterclass uh, with Progressive in Peterborough. And we went along. And, you know, at that point, it was great because it allowed us to, one, learn everything in a bit more detail than sort of what had been covered at the conference, you know, the sort of free conference. That just whetted our appetite. So it allowed us to go into a lot more detail. We, we interacted with some brilliant people in the room, you know, so you get talking to people, some people that were already in property, some people that were starting out, some people that had a, a bit more experience and maybe were coming back to it, plus, of course, the trainers in the room. So it was a great environment to learn. And that helped us really crystallize what we were going to do. Over the course of those four days, we got absolute clarity of what we were going to do strategically and roughly where we were going to do it. Um, and then at that point, we then signed up for a mentorship program. Um, and we're actually being mentored. I think I, you know, Scott, anyway, we're mentored by the two founders of Progressive Properties. So Mark Homer and Rob Moore, which is brilliant because clearly, you know, they're both exceptional businessmen. Mark more on the property specific side of things, you know, so what Mark doesn't know about property, any property, whether it's commercial conversions or massive developments or land right down to what we're doing which is more of the simple stuff at this stage you know isn't worth knowing so you've got mark then and of course you've got rob who is more around um sort of broader business uh personal brand social media marketing etc etc so the combination of their skills is, is really great so we um we're still being mentored by them we've still got quite a long time to go and that has made a massive difference to us now, because at that point, we had an idea what we we're going to do with property, but what it allowed us to do was to think a lot bigger and to actually mm. go, hold on a minute, 
No, we'd be selling ourselves short if we just settled for that. What we really want to do here is build a very significant property business, set it up in the right way, utilize our funds, leverage um, you know, other people's skills, experience, etc. So we create a wrong property and then we can scale up our business. So we decided to kind of go straight for the top in terms of the mentorship with those guys. And it's been fantastic. It still is fantastic. So there's two things really. One, education in the first place. And then the second is, is mentors. You know, I'm a massive believer in, in mentors and coaches. I mean, in fact, I, I'm a mentor myself to a lot of my clients, not just in property, but in general life and business. And you can really make a big difference because a mentor will, you know, hold you accountable. They'll, you know, help you with the knowledge and the experience that they've had. So there's a learning piece there. But they'll also, you know, encourage support, but give you that added push. They'll call you out if you're not doing what you need to be doing. So <laughs> a combination of sort of the actions that we took has really put us in a great place in terms of the foundations that we sort of set up uh, when we started. That's really cool. And just a bit of context for listeners. So you mentioned Mark Holmes and Rob Moore. So um, I believe Rob has a group, well, I say believe I've listened to it. It is a great podcast, Disruptive Entrepreneur. And I believe Mark has a, a podcast and they might do a joint one as well related to property, which I haven't checked out myself personally, but um, I'll be sure to provide links to those in the show notes. Uh, Disruptive Entrepreneur particularly is fantastic. And mm. he's had some really cool, but uh, I know he's had like Katie... Um, Hopkins and really like kind yeah. of out there people so he's yeah really really cool guy you mentioned calling you out and you know kind of that process of working with a mentor have there been times where Mark and Rob have called you and Chris out for anything you've been kind of working on in property at the moment um we're we're pretty we're pretty focused on what we want to do you know I, I don't really need a, a sort of a parent teacher relationship if you like you know what I mean because we're very much action takers and we're very serious about what we're doing but where it's been massively beneficial for us is that where we were maybe going to go down a certain route we've been able to sort of you know, explore that, discuss it and evaluate that with their input and then say, actually, no, we won't do that. No, that's not the right thing to do. So so that has been massively helpful because it saved us time, money, you know, making mistakes or that, you know, so that kind of thing has been fantastic. And I would say probably, you know, with, with Rob, with the social media side of things, so I never used to do anything on social media at all. It's only really been from March this year that I've sort of put myself out on social media. Because when you're in a corporate role, you, you know, you've got to be very careful. You know, if you work mm. for a company, you're restricted really with what you can say. And, and you know, you've got to be very careful. Whereas when, you, when you're your own boss and you've got your own businesses, you can do what you want, quite frankly. <laughs> you know, as long as you're not hurt, harming anyone or, you know, giving misinformation or whatever. But generally, you can, you, you're much more free to do those things. But definitely... Um, when I was getting going on social media, Rob was very much saying, come on, Jeanette, you know, you, you need to you need to do a bit more here. And that was a real sort of me pushing out of my comfort zone massively. But it helped knowing that Rob was sort of almost guiding me through it, saying, right, you know, start with one post a week, for example. You just start small and from there. So so that was great, you know, and every now and then he'd give me a little, a little voice message as well. How are you getting on, you know, and that in a yeah. kind of gave me just that that extra push 
Um, so, yeah, so I, I wouldn't say we got, I needed a massive big kick up the backside because we're pretty, we're pretty action focused anyway, but definitely helpful in bouncing those ideas around, not going down any rabbit holes, um, which you can do very easily in, in life, can't you, or in business. Mm. I highly recommend mentors, coaches uh, to every single person. Actually, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're at or what you're trying to achieve, but it definitely can make a, a big difference between success or failure, I believe. Yeah, that is uh, something which has cropped up numerous times with guests I've had on the show working with mentors and they say it's been kind of the best investment they've made, actually, you know, investing in themselves, which you've kind of alluded to there. With uh, with the relationship with Rob and Mark, like what sort of contact do you get with them on a daily and weekly basis? Is it like once a day or once a week or is it like face-to-face, phone calls? Yeah, what does that look like for you guys? Um, it's a combination, to be honest. I mean, you know, formally, we'll always have a one-to-one on a monthly basis. Um, and because I'm doing this in, in conjunction with Chris, my other half, so, you know, very often we'll do them, we'll, we'll do them physically together with them. Obviously, you know, with this whole social distancing and, and what have you, it's been, it's been more, re, you know, remote using Zoom, et cetera. But typically it would be at least once a month face-to-face. But then really pretty much as and when we need in between, you know, so there'll be certain times where maybe I'm like when I was starting my podcast, for example, there was a lot of stuff. And you know yourself, when you're setting it up, you're deciding the concept, the visuals, all that kind of stuff. You're learning how to do everything. You know, I was having frequent contact with Rob, you know, maybe every couple of days, um, you know, whereas other times there might be we're just getting on with things and we don't necessarily need to bug them you know so mm-hmm. it's around the flexibility you know because at the end of the day you want to get the best out of the relationship um but you know i don't need to be going to them with every single minute thing because clearly you right. know why, why would i why would I, I shouldn't need to do that and I, I don't do that but where there's things where i really value their input or we need to make a decision or we're thinking of doing something but we're not 100 percent sure some of it can be quite technical it can be on the finance side on tax for example, you know, our conversation mm. just yesterday, actually, about some op- some options that we're looking at from a finance stroke tax point of view, you know, and that was massively helpful. Um, you know, and I sent Mark a, a message and pretty much he said, yeah, should we jump on a Zoom tomorrow? You know, so that was great. That's cool, having that flexibility, like you mentioned, and mm. the fact that they are willing, by the sounds of it, to kind of drop other things they've got going on for their for their clients um, I guess that makes makes the relationship seem very worthwhile for you guys. And I think it's about being fair as well, because at the end of the day, you know, I'm a businesswoman, they're businessmen, time is precious. You know, of course, we've invested significantly with them. But at the same time, I also know that their time is valuable and you don't want to, you know, totally take the mick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's about being fair, really, and about making sure that we're having the conversations at the right times on the right level of topic, as opposed to the minutiae of stuff that I don't, I don't need to run by them. I've run big businesses myself. So, you know, a lot of this stuff I kind of just do anyway, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it sounds like there's been a lot of kind of highlights, I'm, I'm presuming, so far. And for listeners, that's obviously great to hear and we like to hear that motivation. But equally, I think important, if not more important, is actually hearing the things that may have gone wrong or kind of challenges you've faced along the way. So if you're willing to talk about those, have there been any challenges that you and Chris have faced whilst working property to date so far? You know, has there been any mistakes you've made or 
any things that you think, oh, I wish we hadn't have done that. I wish we'd done this instead. Yeah, is there anything like that that kind of springs to mind for you guys? Um, not so much mistakes in terms of how we've been doing things sort of in since we've kind of done the education and the mentoring. But, I mean, certainly I can think back to uh, a property investment that I made before Chris, actually, whenever I was with another, another an ex-partner. Um, and that was a property that, you know, I bought in a place called Stanford, because um, at the time I was working at Thomas Cook, uh, which was in Peterborough, and Stanford's one of the sort of um, towns that's quite close to there. So I was living in London, bought a property there as a bit of a project, really, for my other half at the time. Um, and I guess really what ended up happening that we, it, I was too emotionally involved with that project. It was linked to the relationship. The relationship then failed and, and kind of we split up and I was left with, um, you know, living in a bit of a building site with no hot water and trying to do decorating before I got up and went to work and all this kind of mm. stuff. But because I was so, I was too emotionally involved in the property, I, you know, I, I did it to a specification that was not not required. You know, I, I was looking at it more from my own what I liked, you know, the choice of the taps and the tiles and the carpet and, you know, X, Y, Z and the sort of the refurbishment. Um, so I definitely overspent on, I didn't need to for what the end, the end in mind was. So I think, you know, definitely lots of lessons there around being absolutely clear what the, start with, start with the end in mind and work backwards. So, you know, what are you actually going to do with this property? Are you going to sell it? Are you going to rent it out and put tenants in? Because who's your target market as a target customer? Because once you're clear on that, the decisions that you'll make in terms of, you know, the refurbishment and the level of the specification will vary depending on all of those scenarios. But it's different if it's your own home. And I was probably looking at it more as if it was my own home, but it wasn't my own home. It was actually an investment that I did okay out of, but I could have done better. But it was all mm. to the breakup of the relationship, if that makes sense. So that yeah. probably a lot of the lessons that I made on that particular scenario. So of course, don't make don't make those mistakes again, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's funny you yeah. say that because uh, I know I mentioned to you before I'm obsessed with homes under the hammer, or at least I was, mm. particularly when I was younger. And it's something that uh, Dion Dublin, I don't know why he's presenting us whole of a story but something he kind of talks about a lot is like you know don't do it to your specifications you know try and keep costs low particularly if you're trying to rent out so yeah definitely a very useful tip i'm sure for for people listening with um the property investment business now that yourself and chris are running so i know you mentioned um before that you've got big goals for the for yeah. the company and where you want to take it mm. would you like to kind of talk us through that a little bit more and what your kind of plans are for the next I think you said five-year plan or three-year plan, yeah. something like that. Yeah, if you feel yeah. comfortable talking about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we've got a five-year plan and, you know, we're, we're very focused on our core strategy, which is this buy, refurbish, refinance model. So, we buy properties that we can add value to um, and then we refinance them. And the idea is take as much of the original investment back out of the property. You know, you put a mortgage on the property, put finance on it, take the cash back out. So you recycle your cash and you're in a position to keep buying, right? I mean, that's the suit. And we hold our assets for the long term. So we don't plan to sell any of the properties. So we keep them. So we get the equity growth over time. But actually, you have a tenant in there 
that then essentially is covering the costs of the property, you know, the, the interest on the mortgage, any sort of ongoing maintenance costs, et cetera, and the cost of your lettings agent. And then the, the net balance is, is, is net income. So that's the sort of the model, if you like. We're investing in Manchester, sort of southwest Manchester, around um, areas like Eccles, Salford, um, that part of Manchester. Um, but, and so, so we will continue with that strategy to keep adding properties to the portfolio and essentially just growing the number of properties that we have. The secondary strategy that we, we decided pre-lockdown, but we haven't actually implemented yet, we would have done, obviously, if the world happened <laughs> as it is. Um, but we will expand into uh, what are called HMO, so Homes of Multiple Occupants. So that is where you essentially would buy, let's say you bought a four-bed family home and you actually were able to reconfigure it to turn it into, say, a seven-bed home of multiple occupants. So we would do all of that to a, to a good specification, so all on suite, but essentially instead of renting out the property as a single entity, you rent the rooms out, okay? Mm. So, so it's higher, you get a higher cash flow, there's more upfront investment, the renovation costs are normally higher because you're having to, you know, put plumbing in and bathrooms and reconfigure, but it can be, it's a much higher yielding strategy. So that would be our secondary strategy. And then the third area that we're now um, starting to work on quite significantly is because we're doing what we're doing in property for ourselves, we've been approached by a lot of people who've said, listen, we really like, like the sound of what you're doing. Um, we've got cash in the bank that's not working very hard for us. In fact, it's going backwards in value once you, you, know, you apply inflation to it. Mm-hmm. And we need to deploy that capital yeah. so we get a better return. You replicate what you do for yourself for us. So that is what we're now starting to have some really interesting discussions around. So there'll be three kind of perspectives to the business. Um, and as I said, we're mainly, we're focusing in Manchester, but Chris is also from Swansea originally, and he has a fantastic network down there. So it's a different market, um, but we, we anticipate we'll, we'll, we'll most likely do something down in, in South Wales as well. Um, and sort of build a team on the ground there that would start to do some stuff. So that's the sort of overriding strategy, if you like. In terms of the numbers, um, our plan is to build a portfolio that's worth £15 million minimum, so one five over the five years. Um, you know, so because so, for us, we set it up as a proper business, you know, um, because that's what our objectives are. For other people in property, it might just be that they, they, you know, they just want two or three properties as a bit of a nest egg, you know, for them when they for a pension instead of pension or whatever. So there's no right or wrong that everyone wants to, you know, create a big business like we're planning on doing. So w- whatever whatever your objectives are, the great thing is property can help you get there. You know, um, so everyone's different, aren't they? Really? But that's what we're doing. That's the plan for us. That's really exciting. And I will be sure to keep track of uh, your kind of progress along the way, just to kind of underscore a couple of points you made. So um, an episode I did with uh, Russell Leeds, who you may be familiar with, his brother is somewhat notorious uh, in the property circle. And uh, he came onto the podcast, I actually had a really interesting conversation with him. And he talked about HMOs as well, and how he's use that strategy very effectively. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I can't remember what episode it is, but mm. for people listening or interested in property and um, kind of learning more about HMOs in a bit more detail, 
and we do mm. talk about it there, which, um, yeah, really interesting. And I think as well, you mentioned, um, I can't remember when we were talking beforehand or in this episode, uh, in terms of actually how you outsource a lot of the work to builders and you've got the letting agents and stuff as well. Would you like to kind of briefly talk about that and like, yeah, kind of how you managed to keep so hands off with property and then we'll talk a bit more about your mentoring and things like that yeah yeah sure no so so i mean as i say whether it's property or any business your your team is everything isn't it really um so i think it's it's really important to be aware of what your own skills are and where you will be focusing your time and effort in in the case of chris and i there's the two of us and we've got very different skills so you know i tend to focus more on the strategy the finance the business plan the investor side of things chris focuses much more on the deal sourcing and and the relationships with the agents, et cetera. So we've got very different skills. But when it comes to sort of having your creating your power team, which is what we talk a lot about in property or in any business really, you know, the key, the key people you need on your team, the key people we have on our team is we have a fantastic um, mortgage broker. Because when it comes to financing, you want to make sure you're getting access to um, all of the, the best options for you in the market. Um, it's commercial lending because it's under a limited company, uh, which is different to when you're, you know, you've got a mortgage in your own name, for example. So having a great broker is important. Sometimes you might need two, depends on what you're trying to do, you know, because some of them are slightly focused in slightly different areas. So that's that's really important. A tax accountant, because not all accountants are the same, um, and property is quite specific with what you need to be doing to optimize your tax position. Um, so that's that's another key role that we have on our team, a VA that can help with your admins, a virtual assistant that can help you with your diary, with scheduling, with any sort of admin, you know, that kind of stuff. Bookkeeper that does all of the, you know, bookkeeping stuff for you. <laughs> and the two really big important roles, I mean, they're all important, but in terms of sort of a proportion of time and effort, I would say having an, a great building team um, in our case, we have a building partner who, who's, uh, who's, uh, we, who manages all the projects on our behalf. So he's sort of a project manager, really, but he manages the refurbishment end to end. So we will agree a specification up front, we'll agree a budget, all of that kind of stuff. And we'll have a sort of a single contract with him, if you like, but then he deals with the tradespeople. You know, he gets the uh, plumbers in, the electricians and all that kind of stuff. So that's a critical role. Mm. And, and and again, you know, you'll find it depends what your strategy is as to what kind of of, of building um, you know, partnership you're looking for. You might want to, if you're doing massive big developments, it'd be very different to you know doing a single <laughs> to let, for example. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third area really is the lettings agency. So we have someone we don't deal with tenants. We don't deal with with the builders, and we don't deal with tenants. So, <laughs> um, so we we focus on the money and the deal. Or finding the deals, financing the deals, really is is kind of and the strategy. That's what we focus on, and and even that alone, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort. You know, what people don't talk about when you're setting any business up is, and I've got multiple businesses. You know, property is just one of them. But you know, there's a lot of setup work that needs to be done. You know, building the relationships, getting the legal entity set up, getting your business cards, email address. All things, (laughs) you know, it's the boring stuff. You know, have you got have you got access to all your files on a Google Drive, or can you work with? (laughs) You know, have you got all your bank statements scanned and proof of funds and all this stuff? (laughs) It takes (laughs) effort, 
And of course, you can get some help with that. You know, having an assistant is, is a key role. But it does, it does require effort to get things set up. And then once you've done that and you've gone through a few projects end to end, obviously you become, you, you learn how to do it faster. You've got processes that are automated. You've got a team in place. And at that point, obviously you're able then to sort of set back and say, okay, I don't, I can work on my business, not in my business. Mm. And that's really what I think everyone should aspire to do. You know, and yes, you might want to get involved in the bits that you like, but you've got to be careful not to meddle as well. You know, sometimes yeah. if you, the last thing you want is is to be interfering and sitting on their shoulder. It, it, it upsets them and it's not a good use of your time. So you have to be very disciplined with that, I, I believe. But I, that's the way I've all, even when I was at Saga, I had a team of 1,700 people, you know, and I always had great, great direct reports. And I always tried to, you know, focus on the big picture. Be like a helicopter. You have to know when to take off and hover above, but you also have to know when to land, get stuck into mm-hmm. detail, but take off again and leave your team to get on and do their job. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't matter. The, the principles are the same, whether it's a small business you have or, or a massive business. You know, I've run big businesses and i am now got small businesses of my own. So, but the principle is the same, really. Yeah. Love those insights. Yeah, it is something I've heard people talk about. Yeah, kind of working. I think you put it so well, working on your business rather than in your business. That's a really, uh, really powerful lesson. With with the team that you've now put together, how did you initially go about finding these people? Was it through referrals from mentors that you've got or was it through Google searches? I'm thinking particularly like your building team and your mm. letting agents. Yeah, how do you go yeah. about kind of finding and putting that team together? Um, so it's a combination, really. You know, in in some instances, it was sort of recommendations from other people that said, "Oh, yeah, I've got a great, great um, tax accountant. He's fantastic. You should speak to him." But I would always recommend when you're actually making those selections, you really should be meeting with say three or four people. Um, mm. You know, because someone could be very good technically, but you also got to make sure the fit is is right. You know, is this someone that you're kind of going to rub along okay with? So, you know, and that just can be a personal chemistry thing. So it's really important, I think, to to not just go with the first person that someone recommends, you know, have a conversation, meet up for a coffee if you can, chew the fat, get to know, you know, what they're all about and their business and then make a selection. And also it's good to have more than one in certain instances, you know, because like say with a broker, for example, you could have a great mortgage broker, but what happens if they're on holiday and all of a sudden a great deal comes up got to get finance sorted in a week <laughs> right you can be stuck so so it's good to have you know a couple in certain areas um you know but when it comes to building uh, our building partner you know really was a sort of a recommendation from a friend of a friend well then we sort of met up and and actually i knew um, him from when i was kid growing up in manchester and here we <laughs> no kept way. in touch like 20 odd years later and then, you know, find out, oh, gosh, he's doing that. Well, we should have a coffee, you know. So, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I would always say, you know, go to events, network, get recommendations, take your time, meet people, um, get to see the work that they've done on previous projects, um, ask to speak to some of their clients as well, you know, because if they're, if they're happy, if someone says to you, oh, gosh, yeah, I speak to one of my clients and they're very open, that generally is a good sign. If they're not prepared allow, to allow you to do that, it's a bit of a alarm bell ringing. Mm, okay. So 
do your due diligence basically um and then and then try them out you know try them out uh um, start maybe with one or two projects and see how they get on yeah great recommendations it's funny you mentioned that last that kind of penultimate point i had a guest on called hazel completely different industry so she's in uh, creating retail products uh, wooden products eco-friendly and stuff and uh, she's been working with manufacturers trying to find manufacturers that manufacture wood very difficult and one of the kind of tricks she picked up along the way is when working with manufacturers if she just whack out a contract and give that to them just to kind of you know, make sure that's all in place. If they were reluctant to sign it, that was immediately a red flag. And that kind of told her, okay, I should look for someone else. And just a really small trick like that, which I thought that was really smart, um, Mm. just kind of rings what you just said there. I said we'd move on to the mental business and I'm very keen to find out more about this. So, um, because I believe you're mentoring in uh, business and property and also life. So three very kind of complementary areas. Yeah, what were your reasons for wanting to to start the mentoring and how did you go about setting that up? Well, to be honest, I've been mentoring people for, God, 15 plus years, Scott, because when I was in the corporate world, you know, and I was running big travel businesses, which is what I'm really known for doing, you know, as I say, I was a CEO at Saga and head of the travel businesses. And then before that, I was a managing director at TUI for the emerging markets. So, you know, I bought and ran businesses in Russia, China, India. It's a very international role uh, with big teams in those places. So over the years of being in, in, in corporate, you know, I've done lots of mentoring. Um, and I guess really what ended up happening was, um, over the last few months, um, I just thought, well, you know what, actually during this time, a lot of people uh, need help. A lot of people are kind of going through a lot of change. You know, obviously the macroeconomic environment we're finding ourselves in is not easy. A lot of people are having to sort of, you know, pivot and think about, okay, well, maybe I'm not going to be doing the role that I was doing before. I might need to think about something different. So I, I genuinely, the main reason I do it is because I get a huge amount of satisfaction out of helping other people. And I firmly believe that everyone, every single person's greatness within them, they absolutely do. But why is it that some people absolutely go for it and follow their dreams, whatever they may be in business life, et cetera? And there's a, you know, a vast majority of people that, that kind of don't. They settle. They settle for mediocrity. And you don't have to. You can, you can follow your dreams and you can make things happen. But as we alluded to earlier, it's much easier to do it if you're surrounded with the right people that can help mm. you there. And mentoring is one aspect. It's only one aspect, but it's one aspect of that. So I mainly do it because I genuinely like to help people. That's the main reason. Um, but And in particular, during the current situation, I just thought, you know what? There's a lot of people need need some help, support, um, guidance and encouragement um, as well. So why don't I formalize what I've been doing for years into a business? So essentially, that's kind of what I did. I mean, I launched this during lockdown um, and I've been, you know, I've been really pleased with just how how much interest <laughs> in on days. I'm very picky about who I work with, by the way. Um, and I, you know, I like to work with people that are genuinely genuinely serious about their own development and they're going to take action because quite frankly you know if you're going to invest in a mentor program mentorship program and you know I, I invest in my own 
for my own development with Rob and Mark at the moment. But if you're going to do that, you need to be serious about it and actually be an action taker and be prepared to, to sort of be open minded, to listen to the suggestions of your mentor, to be able to kind of navigate through that. But my gosh, isn't it great when you actually can achieve your dreams? Um, and so a life, you know, life short, right? No regrets. That's sort of a lot of my philosophy really behind the mentoring. And um, I really love the the clients I work with. I get so much personal satisfaction out of seeing them flourish. You know, I mean, I've helped people get into the boardroom that probably, you know, wouldn't have had the chance to do that. I help people start new businesses. I've helped people transition out of a corporate life into entrepreneur. Mm. A whole bunch of stuff. And then, of course, in amongst all of that, there's also what's going on in people's personal life, you know, lack of self-belief, confidence, mindset, all of this comes into it. Um, you know, so, so it's a real mixture, actually. But every single individual is exactly that individual. Um, so I'm mm. like a one-size-fits-all. It's very much a personal um, approach to the mentoring so so yeah so, so that that's kind of the that that business <laughs> but what I what I try to do is slightly different actually to other mentors because what I also do I have um, a third business which is I do a lot of um, adv- board advisory work for clients that want to buy businesses so a lot of mergers and acquisitions I've done in my corporate career So when I mentor people, they not only get the mentoring side of things, which is sort of the more typical stuff that you would see from from different people, but I also take a almost like a a business consultancy approach if they want it. So, you know, for people that are on my 12-month program, for example, you know, I will say, okay, if you want me to go through your strategy and your business plan, let's do that. Because I, you know, I've ran businesses, I know what, I know what needs to be done. If you want to treat me as, you know, as a non-exec director in your business for a day, I'll come and spend time on your patch in your business. So as well as me mentoring, it's this sort of combination because what you're really getting, you're not really getting my time. You're getting 30 years of business experience. experience. And so it's a slightly different approach that I try to try to apply this combination. Uh, But I love it. Yeah, it's great. I was going to say, it, it sounds like you have such a, a wealth of, of knowledge and experience. And I know we haven't talked about it today, but I will direct listeners to a one of your podcasts, your introductory podcast, which I listened to on uh, Brave, Bold, Brilliant. And you talked about your experiences in Russia, and which just sounded fascinating, by the way. And mm. I know you've got a really vast knowledge of travel and but also business like you've alluded to. So I think that combination you've talked about there of kind of being able to sit on boards and give people like guidance, but also working with entrepreneurs just getting started in their own businesses. Mm. It sounds like a really unique proposition. So I'm excited to find out a bit more about it and kind of that day-to-day, I guess, relationship you have with clients. So you mentioned it's Mm. quite personal and you kind of tailor it to each individual. What sort of exercises do you do with your clients? And I'm, I'm guessing here it probably depends on what they're looking for, but say someone's looking for, uh, kind of like maybe <laughs> similar to positions as myself, I guess, like, you know, kind of looking to maybe start a business one day, but, you know, maybe looking for some kind of personal development, uh, development stuff as mm. well. Yeah. What would sort of your exercises be with, with a client like that? Uh, do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, so so I think it's really important to, well, one, you need to understand the client and the individual. So you need to be a good listener um, if you're a mentor or a coach, because otherwise the danger is you just project what's been essentially your autobiography in your life onto that other person. And that, that's mm. end. So you have to be able to sort of listen and, and kind of understand what's going on in their life and then kind of in relationships and where they're coming from. So that's the first thing, sort of don't jump in. It's not about providing solutions, actually. A good mentor will 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 listen, will tease out um, from the mentee what it what's going on really and what's underneath and, and what they're trying to achieve. Um, but of course you've got all the experiences that you can bring to that discussion at the right time but don't jump in too quick but what I am a big believer that if you know where you're heading then it's much easier to get there you know you don't just get get in the car with no idea of your destination you're just going to be driving around the streets like randomly right so why would you do that in life so a lot of a lot of what I will spend time kind of up front relatively up front at the start of the mentoring program that we have would be to really help the uh, individual articulate their vision and their purpose. You know, what is it you want to achieve in life? What legacy do you want to leave for your kids, your family? Why are you here? Why are you here on this? <laughs> what impact do you actually want to make? What do you want to be known for? You know, what, what do you want written on your gravestone? You know, mm. but this is quite kind of thought-provoking stuff (laughs) then from that when you're clear on that and it will change at different points of your life as well then what I would then hone into is almost well okay so what are our focus areas and well maybe you know you probably you don't want any more than five you might have three or four maybe so you might say okay I want to get into property so one of the focus areas would be okay property the other one might be okay I want to I don't know, I want to learn a new skill to become a Pilates instructor. <laughs> or it might be, I want to set up a new business, but I also want to do it on the side of my corporate role. Or it might be, I want to get on the board. I want to become the CEO of a massive, big international organization. So there's a whole bunch of stuff, but you're trying, I'll try and then crystallize the big picture and almost cascade it down with them. And then from there, we can then say, okay, well, what are the objectives? What are the sort of things that we're going to measure? And then we get into a bit more of an action plan. So that gives us a really great structure. So one, big picture, what the hell am I doing here? And what's my purpose in life? <laughs> I'm being really clear. <laughs> um, and then how does that translate into the, into what we're going to achieve and work together on? Um, so that, that does, that's one example. Um, I also think it's quite useful. You know, I'll do all sorts of things around um, what I call sphere of influence. So, you know, if you're trying to achieve a certain objective, um, how do you approach the different people in your network? Who are the decision makers? Who are the people that are really going to support you? And, and who are the ones that are sort of got a high level of interest, but they haven't really got any power in it? Mm. All of that. Um, I'll do things around personal brand, you know, so how do you want to externally be perceived? And that can be anything from... You know, the way you dress, the way you talk, how you present yourself, you know, because we're all being judged, aren't we? Whether you like it or not, you're being judged. Um, a lot of people are sort of like me, a bit, have been reticent about social media. So how do you start to position yourself 
externally, maybe if you've been very introspective. So there's a whole host of stuff like that. Um, but the vision piece is, is probably the most critical, I would say, because once you once you nail that, um, it's much easier then for us to sort of channel our energies and, and focus into the right areas. Um, mm. We want to come out with a result, don't we? We want to come out with an improved version of ourselves, more confident or whatever it might be. Um, or it might be a very hard metric around financial stuff or around self-development. So, yeah, it's it's very individual, um, but there are some common themes, I would say, some common tools that I would use with people. Um, it's fascinating. I, I really love it. And and it's and it's sometimes, you see, it's very rare that people don't always think about these things because we're all busy, aren't we? You know, we have busy designers, yeah. we're running from one thing to another. You're trying to, you know, you might be juggling the kids and work and career and looking after elderly parents, you know, and those things can, can very often mean we don't give ourselves the headspace. And sometimes it's quite helpful to have someone like me say, well, you know, what is important to you at this point of your life? Relationships come into this as well. You know, there's personal stuff going on. You know, my, my partner doesn't understand me. You know, I, I want to go in one direction, but he or she just isn't really on that journey with me. You know, there's all yeah. these kind of things can come up. So <laughs> it's a whole, a whole complex area. <laughs> it sounds like it. And I'm I'm kind of imagining part of your role, probably tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing part of your role is probably almost not a psychologist. I think that's the wrong word, but do you know what I mean? Someone who has that kind of, where you're kind of digging into what is their underlying fears or, you know, motives and things like that, particularly in that kind of vision stage, yeah. kind of working almost like a psychologist. Is that kind of how you see it or is that completely way off, do you think? Well, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a trained psychologist. I'm not a trained coach. I, you know, I'm a mentor is different. It's someone that has, has kind of, you know, trodden a similar path to you or a, or a path that can be useful um, you know, so so it is different. I'm not a you know I'm not a trained counsellor, but what I would say is, when you're in a, any situation, you need to be an em, em, empathic listener. You know, the key mm. under, understand what's happening with that person through you know sort of trying to tease that out, giving someone just the space to speak. Um, sometimes alone people will actually get there themselves just by having the right environment and an and environment of trust um, and confidentiality. Um, so, so it's not really necessarily, I suppose psychology comes into it, but it's more, it's human understanding really, I think, right. communication mm. skills. Um, and of course, when you've got a bit of life experience behind you and you, you know, you've sort of seen a few things and experienced a few things, um, it, it helps you a little bit, um, but it's everyone is different. And, and the, as I say, the key is to understand what's happening with that person and then together, you know, shape something up in terms of what they really want to achieve and get out of the programme. And once you've done that, you can then get into much more, okay, well, how do we get there? But the, the first thing is that, you know, what's, what's the why? Why are you doing this? Who are you doing it for? And, you know, and people have, very often have a lot of um, baggage in the past you know so another exercise and it depends sometimes I'll do this not everyone not everyone wants to do it I'm always up for it but I'll do what's called your journey timeline where we'll look back 
um, and and just sort of you can't drive a car by looking through the rearview mirror, right? Absolutely. But I do think it's sometimes useful to set the context of where you've come from to where you are now to sort of look at the inflection points along the way. Uh, what have been the things that have kind of propelled you forward or opportunities that have come up or you've created? What have been the blockers? You know, is there a, re a repeated kind of behavior that's gone on for, for that person over a period of time that maybe has meant they haven't achieved their potential? You know, have there been influential people in their lives that have encouraged them or stopped them? You know, so, so there's a little bit of retrospective um you know, context setting, which can be useful because you take the learnings from that and you say, okay, what is this telling me? <laughs> and what does that therefore mean for what I want to achieve in my vision and where I want to head to in the future? You know, so, because you, you, we all have, we all can choose, can't we? You know, just because our childhood was a certain way or because I, I was in a, you know, someone might have been in a not very constructive relationship or a personal relationship, mm. just because that was, what happened in the past, it does not mean it has to be the future. So, you know, I think being aware of that is, is quite powerful as well. Yeah, really powerful. And this is something I could talk to you all about, you know, um, mm -hmm. like all day about. I'm very conscious of your time. So final couple of questions for you. And this one's a little bit off the beaten track, so do bear with me. But imagine the scene. So we're driving down the American highway and we see a big billboard to the side. This billboard could be seen by potentially thousands of people every single year. What do you think you'd write on that billboard? And it doesn't have to be deep. It could be a little quip, piece of advice, a story, whatever you want it to be. But if you could write something on the billboard, what do you think it would be and why? I would say believe in yourself and live your life so you have no regrets at the end of your life. Ooh, I like it. What made you say those things? Um... I think the self-belief is a massive one because I see it all the time that, you know, people, people's mindset, you know, if it's not set in the right way, it can hold them back massively. You know, whether it's people suffering from imposter syndrome, I mean, I've certainly felt that in the past, you know, myself, you know, feeling mm. good enough, you don't belong, all those feelings. And the, the problem with that is it can really um, niggle away at you, you know, those inner voices. Um, so, so the self-belief, is 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 critical and i think that's for everyone you know you really if you can't love yourself how can you expect someone else to love you if you don't believe in yourself why should you get that promotion you know why should you be able to succeed in business why why do you deserve to have a loving relationship with your husband your wife your partner whatever you know if you don't believe you're good enough well then why would the other person think you're good enough you know mm. so it, it covers so many different things so the, the whole mindset self-belief is, is something that I see a lot in people. I see it as a blocker, but I also see it as the most powerful thing. If you can crack it, the, the world is your oyster, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the other piece around no regrets, you know, life is short, right? Um, none of us know what's around the corner. None of us know how long we've got. We're, we're, we're passing through this, you know, <laughs> through this life. Um, make it count. You know, make it count. And, and I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of people that say, oh, well, I could have done that or wish I'd done that or I should have done that. But they don't. And that's the whole point. You know, anyone can achieve anything. If you look at very successful people and success is not necessarily defined by business, money, financial success is whatever is success for you. You know, but if you look at successful people, 
very often they, they didn't come from, you know, they come from very humble beginnings, you know, and they've really created a fantastic position for themselves out of nothing. So, you know, if people can do that with or, or starting off it with great adversity in their life, but they break through that. So there's so many examples where people can do it, but there's also a vast majority of people that don't do it, which is a great shame. So why you just don't want to look back with regret, do you? I wish I'd done that. What's the worst that can happen? Give it a go. You know, I remember when I got asked to go to Russia, I thought, oh God, I want things to go to, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and the opportunity came up and I thought, oh, well, I'll give it a go. I'll do, I'll do my best and see what happens, you know, but because I made that choice at the time, it then led on to a whole, you know, path of my career that I would never have thought was, was possible. You know, so there's so much in that, I just think, around self-belief. You can achieve anything you want in life, um, but make sure you take the action because it doesn't just happen. You do have to take action um, and give it a go, you know. Don't have any regrets. Yeah, that's a really powerful message to end it on. It's one of my biggest fears, I think, actually, not like uh, not pushing myself enough. And actually, it's something I try to remind myself of as well. So good to hear on the same page with that one. Like I said, you know, it's been a real joy talking with you today. Uh, brave, bold, brilliant podcast. Definitely do check that out. It's well worth a listen at Jeanette.Linford on Instagram and on LinkedIn as well, I believe. And JeanetteLinfordAssociates.com if people are wanting to find out more about your services and mentoring and things we talked about today. Is there anywhere else you'd like to point listeners towards, Jeanette? Or have I covered all the bases there? <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think you've got it, Scott, to be honest. Um, the only thing I'd say is Jeanette is felt in a bit of a weird way. It's got two N's and two T's. And then, <laughs> so sometimes people miss me. But yeah, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, you know, JeanetteLinfordAssociates.com. Um, yeah, so, you know, reach out to me really happy to to engage and uh, to help wherever I can perfect well like I know you've talked about since March you've been pushing more on uh, Instagram and cross social I've certainly seen that so like I said it's been a real joy chatting with you today and to everyone listening I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have and until next time I'll speak again very very soon do take care